Words, they get golly hard when they jumble. Jumping over hurdles, slowing birds like a turtle. Murky fool, like squirtle and cake gold. Cold blood is with this rhyme scheme, I'm a boss. This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about getting in the river, figuratively, and I've been thinking about hitting rock bottom, what that means, and why some people can get up, dust themselves off, and step into a new track. I've been thinking about what keeps us from going off the rails once we've found a new track, and it seems to be the right one. I've been thinking about change, adjustments, and staying true to who we are and where we'd like to go. My guest today is Erica Gray. Eric is the author, with Mark D'Agostino, of Walking with Petey, the dog who saved my life, a heartwarming and uplifting story of how transformation can come from surprising places. Eric was 150 pounds overweight, feeling alone and empty, living a life without purpose and meaning. He was suffering from type 2 diabetes and taking so many meds, he had to take meds for the effects of those meds. And then everything changed. Today we'll be talking about his and Petey's epic story and their journey to feeling fulfilled. Welcome, Eric, and thank you so much for joining us today on That Got Me Thinking. Well, thank you, Ellie. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. So you had said, any day I had to go to an airport was the worst day of my life. I was thinking maybe we could start there on that uh, fitful day where you had to go to the airport and you had a pretty horrendous flight. Yeah, well, thank you. So just a little bit of background on my situation. I was 340 pounds. I was taking 15 daily medications, including insulin for type 2 diabetes, three different antidepressants, weight loss medications, and medications intended to mitigate the side effects of other medications. And through all that, um, I'd been getting progressively larger over the decades. I'd started out, um, you know, I had about... I have a 34-inch waist now, but at age 40, I had about a 42-inch waist, and then at age 51, I had about a 52-inch waist. So I was carrying about an extra 150 pounds. And so your listeners know, uh, anybody who's not that in that condition, it's extremely difficult and painful to live like uh, that overweight and really taking that many pharmaceuticals. And so as you move, every part of your body hurts, your feet hurt, your knees hurt especially, your back hurts, because as humans, we're not designed to carry that much weight. Think about walking around with uh, uh, really two sandbags, one on each shoulder all day long, and that's the extra stress that is put on your body when you're that heavy. And that's why it's so miserable to move and to get around and even go outside. Um, You know, your question is really interesting because it involves the one airplane trip, but at that point in my life, I would do almost anything to avoid going outside of my apartment. I would make up stories as to why I couldn't attend events. I would really do anything I could to try to go outside. So when I did have to go somewhere, as I did on that day that you described uh, from the book that I'm going to talk about, it was one of two mandatory sales conferences that I had to go on each year for my employer. So because I had to go, I had to go. So I went, I went um, on a flight, and then on the return flight, I got on the airline. And one of the things that I describe in the book is really the the misery and discomfort of getting through an airport at that weight. Uh, not only was it painful just to move around and walk, but it, I was actually winded and out of breath, even having to tie my shoes. I, I was going to say, I think that that element of your story 
struck such a chord. The thought that, you know, even trying to, that, you know, how you said a lot of times there's not even a bench and you have to kind of shuffle your way to the bench and then to sit on the bench, that bending over even from a sitting position was uncomfortable and that you then had to sit for 10 minutes to really catch your breath after doing that. And I think that's, I was so grateful to have a sense of what that was like for you and what that might be like for other people. And again, when you said even getting in bed, which most people feel like, oh, what a relief, like now there's finally some rest and comfort, that that, that was uncomfortable for you. It really was because when you're that large, there is no comfortable way to sleep, not on your back, not on your stomach, and not on your side. So it's, uh, it's fitful and unrestful sleep at best, for sure. But Getting on the airline that day, in, uh, as I described in the book, <clears throat> let me just talk about that for a second. So when you're that large and you're walking through the airport and you finally get on the plane, they call your row or whatever, as you're walking down the plane, you can look at this, and I wish that I had this on camera, every eye is pointed towards you, looking at you like with a look on their face of, oh my God, don't let that huge guy sit next to me. And you really see that and you sense it from every single person on the airport, uh, on the airplane. And when you finally are walking sideways like a crab pretty much down the aisle, because the, uh, the aisles are so narrow, down to a seat and then seeing that I had a center seat with two other guys um, in the uh, window in the aisle seat and I actually had the center seat, you know, it was just the look of horror on everybody's face associated with this, like they know what's going to happen. I'm going to wedge myself into that seat and then roughly six to eight inches of me is going to spill over the seat rests onto each side and uh, uh, kind of like be pressing against the other guys that I'm sitting next to for the entire flight. So that's that's the entire experience. And they have no sense whatsoever of what it took for you to get there, like what really you have just accomplished to get yourself into that seat and that you're going to emerge from that seat probably with bruises. Uh, absolutely. It, an airplane flight like that for somebody my size with a 52-inch waist would generally result in bruises from the uh, from the seat. The seats are about the same size and you get about the same sort of leg room and uh, uh, width to the seats as are on a modern-day school bus uh, seat designed for like two middle school children. So you come off that flight, you get home, and the flight actually had to be delayed for 45 minutes because they didn't have enough of the seatbelt extenders. And so it was worse than, than a typical experience for you on, on an airline. Yeah, it's really interesting because you were talking about hitting rock bottom, and that's what I consider to be when I uh, hit rock bottom. And specifically, so they ran out of seatbelt extensions, and usually airlines carry enough, but they don't store extra ones at the gate, when they run out of seatbelt extensions, the only way that they can get them is from other airlines, from another airline. So they had to wait uh, to get seatbelt extensions from another airline. And during that time, I delayed the flight by about 45 minutes. So there I am wedged into the seat in pain and listening to people around me talk about, I'm going to miss my flight because that guy is so fat and he lacks any self-control and, you know, whatever. So I was a fairly proud person. I'd been in the military. I'd never applied for government assistance of any kind. And suddenly I was becoming a burden on other people. And that really struck home to me and was kind of the point that I said, I, I got to take action and I can't do it anymore. And another really rock bottom point um, that I talk about in the book was 
before that day, I had seen my regular doctor for a, a standard employment physical, and he just completely, flat out, bluntly told me that I either needed one of two things, either bariatric surgery or a cemetery plot, because I would most likely need one within the next five years unless I took immediate corrective action for my weight and health. And it's not like you hadn't been aware of any of this problem before. You'd spent, you know, the last 25 years with all different kinds of diets. Um, You clearly are not a person who lacks self-control looking at any other aspect of your life. Uh, You're someone who follows through. You're someone who has a plan. You're someone who makes a plan and then enacts the plan. So this was certainly an area of your life that was not in line with really the person that you you are and and were. Right. So I didn't feel like you know, I'd been in the military, as I said, and I felt that I had self-discipline. But what the, the issue was is that I just kept getting larger and larger, eating what I later came to be known as the standard American diet. So starting after I got out of the Army and I was about 25 years old, I just started incrementally building up weight year after year until suddenly I was I was overweight and then suddenly I was obese. <clears throat> and I tried during that time every diet and diet plan and procedure and process and supplement ever commercially marketed in the United States for weight loss. I mean, I really did. And I failed on them all. And I I came to realize that each of these plans was not intended to be like something that you could follow for life. Each of these plans was something that was for a goal. Say, if you wanted to go on a trip, here's a way to lose 40 pounds. But the problem with each of them was that none were sustainable, none could be followed as a permanent uh, uh, lifelong practice, and they're all intended to be temporary in nature. For example, there are diets where you would eat meat only, for example, and never eat any vegetables or, uh, or, or potatoes especially, or anything with carbohydrates. And the problem is you can't go through your life like that, and you you invest in that plan by trying to get yourself in a, in a point that you're uh, uh, in ketosis and then your body is going to burn fat instead of uh, glucose as its primary fuel because your body lacks glucose. You, have, you don't have any stored up. So what's going to happen then is as soon as you eat some starch, it's then going to uh, uh, go back to your glucose stores and you have to start over from the beginning to begin to lose weight. So on those diets, you know, just going out for a normal business meal or something, it, there's there's ways that you cannot follow them permanently. And as soon as you fail on them or backslide, then it's a situation where all of a sudden you quickly gain back all the weight you lost and then maybe an additional 10% as a penalty. Well, so well and we're complex it, systems, right? So even if you are following yeah. it, you know, we need some carbohydrates. Our bodies can't heal without the carbohydrate to transmit the proteins to different areas of our, of our systems. And mm-hmm. so that night where, where you and I are both saying you hit rock bottom, um, part of that was you get home, you see the thousand pairs of underwear from Amazon stacked up in your spare bedroom. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting story, if I can. I, I did everything that I could to avoid going outside so much that I did not even use the communal laundry uh, mat feature or, uh, uh, that was in my apartment building. So because I didn't want to wash my own clothes, I would have a, um, a dry cleaning service come over and 
pick up all my clothes and then return them to me, but they didn't do socks or underwear. So I would order socks and underwear from Amazon. And after wearing them once, you know, I, could, I, I couldn't or didn't want to go outside to wash them. So I would just throw them in a corner because I didn't want to throw them out either because I'd only worn them once. So they weren't dirty or anything. They were just used one time. And then over a period of years, those built up to a couple of thousand pairs of socks and underwear in the corner of my spare room. And again, this isn't out of any degree whatsoever of laziness. It's because it was so uncomfortable physically and emotionally to even for some task that for others might seem like such a simple task. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's hard to describe how miserable and painful life is when you're that obese. You, you generally have no energy and uh, because of all the side effects of all the medications that you're on trying to uh, counteract or do something to alleviate the symptoms associated with that, you just feel miserable. I mean, I was having to sleep 10 to 12 hours a night, but because I really couldn't sleep more than a half an hour at a time before I'd wake up and you know then have to get, go back to sleep, I was also constantly exhausted and had no energy, and that put me in... Uh, <clears throat> pretty much uh, a really horrible mood all the time and, and also led to, uh, you know, is, is really behind uh, depression as well. So, so, so it created mental health problems in addition to physical problems. So let's talk a little bit about the shift. Because I really see it as like, here was this point where it went click. Um, and the, in so many areas, there was a shift for you. And it began with a, what some might see as a not very upbeat conversation with God. So I would describe it as an epiphany. I asked for, and, and congratulations, you're the first person in an interview that's ever asked me about this point. <laughs> Seriously. So normally we skip past this content, but I think I, it's, I think uh, when it's I re- pretty much going to be the core of our conversation from, from what I've gleaned so far. Okay, awesome. So when I came back from that plane flight that night at home in my bed, I asked God to kill me. And then I had an epiphany, and um, I'll describe it if you like. I think it'd be wonderful. Okay, so I'd like to start by prefacing it that this was as real to me then as talking to you right now is. This is not a fantasy that occurred in my head or anything that was, you know, it's been suggested by the few people that I told about this before this book, that this was something that uh, maybe I had some sort of mini stroke or had some sort of, you know, ad hoc hallucination or something. No, this was as real as watching the sunrise or anything else. So I was in my bed and I asked God to kill me. And uh, suddenly I felt drawn into a vortex and I felt uh, I was in the presence of a, a, a tremendous healing light. And I felt that I was in the presence of God. You had said, I'm begging you, please kill me, please take my life, please. And I thought, okay, God God said, okay, and he took your life, but he didn't kill you. He just did half of it, right? And he, and he said, okay, here's a new one. Exactly. So I had, um, I had a, uh, uh, that intervention, that epiphany, and the strong message that I, was, that I received was to uh, purchase and read a Bible. And so I did. I woke up the next morning on in my bed, uh, not remembering what had happened, not having any like closure to that. But the first thing that I did was I felt like a strong urge to uh, purchase a Bible. So actually, because I was doing most of my shopping on Amazon, I actually went onto Amazon and I purchased a Bible. 
a New Living Translation. So it was delivered to me within two days, and I voraciously started reading it. And as I read it, I couldn't help see, because I here's the important thing for people to understand. I had no prior uh, religious background, or I'd never really been to church, maybe somebody's wedding once or twice, things of that nature. I had no prior religious background of any kind. My my upbringing had no religion in it whatsoever, and had no prior religious exposure. So I started reading the book, and I noticed very clearly that all these stories and all this background and all these like uh, references to like certain like uh, f- figures of speech that I, I'd been using my entire life. The first thing I noticed was a huge amount of them were straight out of the Bible, and we had just been you know become part of our lexicon and conversation uh, over the years. So I was really fascinated by all the stories that I read, and I actually sat down and for several hours a day, I read the entire Bible cover to cover within about 30 days. I guess I called it a shift earlier because you had said at one point, my desire to live outshone any obstacle that might get in my way. And I guess that's what I saw as this really pivotal moment where all of a sudden you you had shifted. You had shifted sort of your motivation and your intention. It was like, no, I want, I want different, and so I need to start being different. And you started looking for signs and synchronicities. And the first one was this internal one. But then you started looking outside of yourself after you had the next sort of conversation. We'll put that in quotes, and we'll put God in quotes, because it could be any kind of God, that you had this conversation and you had this other experience. You started looking for signs outside as to how were you going to make this change happen? What did you need to do? So after my uh, after I finished reading the Bible, I then had another experience where a similar one where I felt, and this is not like verbal talking at all. This was strictly uh, uh, psychically communicated information. And um, so I, I had another conversation with God, and this is described in the book. And when I left that one and I woke up the next morning, it felt like the entire world had changed for me. I had a feeling in the center of my chest that I could only describe as like, you know, a feeling of ecstasy, a feeling of joy, a feeling of uh, really physical happiness in the center of my chest. And I really wanted to live again. And as part of what my experience had indicated to me was to watch for signs because my purpose would be revealed or whatever. So, and this is all described in the book. So one of the first signs that I received was I turned on the television and there was Wolf Blitzer interviewing Bill Clinton on TV. And Bill Clinton looked better than I'd ever seen him in my entire life. His face was oval instead of round. The bags under his eyes were gone. And this was some sort of political discussion on CNN. But Wolf eventually interrupted uh, uh, Bill Clinton. He said, you know, I've got to ask you, you look great, better than I've ever seen you. What have you done? So Bill Clinton said that he had been on uh, his doctors. He went to some new doctors and they put him on a whole food plant-based diet. So at the time, because I had tried everything that had ever been used for every, like I said, everything ever marketed in the United States for weight loss, I'd never heard of a plant-based diet. So I immediately Google Clinton plant-based diet, and this was in 2010. And at the time, Google returned the, uh, the search. It said, no search results found. I did that same uh, 
I did that same search last week and I got a return of about 26 million hits. Uh, so there's been quite a bit of progress in the last seven years on that. And so I immediately started looking for a different type of doctor because my first doctor, the doctor I had been seeing, was telling me that I needed bariatric surgery to correct my condition because otherwise I was just going to die. And it actually scheduled bariatric surgery, but I didn't want to go through with it because I'd known several people that had bariatric surgery. And all of them, it seemed to me, ended up regretting it. I mean, they cut out two-thirds of your stomach for this uh, gastric sleeve process. You can no longer eat regular-sized meals. You can only eat tiny little meals at the same time. And then most people that have um, weight, have that sort of surgery end up gaining their weight back because they eventually find that they can still eat a lot of calories by drinking milkshakes and other liquids that go straight through them. So they can still get a lot of calories and they could still put on a lot of weight. And then plus their stomach, even though two-thirds of it was removed for the surgery, their stomach starts to expand again. And at some point they can you know, continue to eat normally sized meals and they just put their weight back on. So that didn't seem to me like a, a good long-term solution. It was one that I was determined to find uh, a way out of. So about a month away from bariatric surgery was when all this happened. And so I did find a doctor that knew what a uh, plant-based diet was. And rather than a medical doctor, this was a naturopathic doctor. And that was my first experience outside of medical doctors and with uh, naturopathic doctors. Well, and I loved your approach that it was a combination of sort of spiritual trusting, uh, you know, looking for these synchronicities, and then also being really practical. You're going to Google it, you're going to research, you're going to research the doctors, you know, there was this balance. And it seemed like finding Dr. Preeti was a combination of those two, you know, she, you had found a number of them, but she was really the only one that could see you right away. Yeah, you know, and that's that's exactly what it was. So just just on something that you said, I really believe that for spiritual improvement and change, I, I felt like I had somebody supporting me, somebody behind me, but they weren't going to do all the work for me. In other words, they were going to maybe help lead me to things, but then I had to do the work myself. And that that's what I was looking for science for is exactly how do I do this? Because in all of my, you know, 51 years old at the time, and in all of the doctors that I'd ever seen, everyone told me that I needed diet and exercise, but no one told me exactly what that meant. How do you implement that advice? Exactly what does diet and exercise mean? And I, you know, so diets didn't work because I'd tried them all. I hated exercise. I mean, it's just, you know, I could force myself to go to the gym for a couple of months, but after that, I mean, I would rather, I'd rather pound my head on a, uh, a counter then continue to just go by myself and lift weights or something. So when I met with Dr. Preeti for the first time, the first thing that I was uh, extraordinarily amazed by is that rather than just spend five to 10 minutes with me, which is what every previous doctor had ever visited in my entire life did, she spent about an hour and a half with me. So I'm thinking because I have a finance background and, and I'm always interested in how systems work, how can she possibly afford to do this? Because the economics of the modern medical profession is such that, you know, they only really do have about five to 10 minutes to spend with you. And the reason that I had so many different medications is because the way that regular medical doctors work, or for the most ones that are uh, general practitioners, is they have a, a packed schedule. They're seeing patients all day. And when these patients come in, they're looking 
they're, they're listening for what the person's major complaint is. Like, okay, so here's what my major complaint is. And then that's, that, that complaint involves a symptom. And so what they're trying to do then is write a prescription to help alleviate the problems associated with that symptom. So after my first meeting with Dr. Preeti and I asked her, I mean, how does this work? Because you spent an hour and a half with me, my typical medical, um, and she was a licensed naturopathic doctor. My typical medical uh, interview or, or, or visit is five to 10 minutes. And why are you doing this so differently than a regular medical doctor would do? And she told me, first thing she told me was that uh, naturopathic doctors, licensed naturopathic doctors, also go to medical school. So it's a legitimate healthcare profession. And then she said, but the main difference is, is that what she is trying to do is rather than treat a particular symptom, she's trying to find the underlying cause of all of my problems. And what she wants to do is treat that underlying cause. And she got me to admit in that interview, all kinds of stuff that I really hadn't told anybody before, including things like, I really only was going outside a few times a year, uh, only when forced. I hadn't, uh, I didn't have any friends. I hadn't been on a date in about 15 years and my life was just spiraling out of control. And I, I had no doubt that I was really headed towards an early grave. So what she told me was, and this was fascinating to me, was that she told me that if I stuck with her and I followed her course of treatment, and if I agreed to weekly visits for six months, and this is what we worked out, she said that I had a very high likelihood that she could get me off all medications and down to my ideal weight within one year. And I looked at her like she was crazy. I mean, you must be high, right? I mean, how is that even possible? I've been on this roller coaster, uh, on this merry-go-round of weight loss and, and just failed things for my entire life, 30 years, uh, uh, you know, as an adult at that point. And you're telling me that you can fix all of my medical problems without drugs in one year. This I got to see. So because everything else that I'd ever done in my life up to that point had failed, I decided, you know what, rather than continuing to do things my own way and second guess the thing, I'm going to exactly follow the program that she lays out for me, and I'm going to do exactly what she says to see if this works, because it seemed to have worked for Bill Clinton, so maybe it'll work for me too. So the most interesting thing that, that came out of that meeting was, in addition to not being prescribed any additional medications, was she prescribed for me a whole food plant-based diet, which is a vegan diet, but it's a healthy vegan diet. And then also, she told me to go down to my local shelter and adopt a dog. And I thought it was so brilliant in so many ways, because not only the fact that she wasn't treating your symptoms, but she was treating the cause, but she set you up for success. And one aspect of that I thought was ingenious was she told you you could have six cans of tunas, and she gave you recipes for the new food she wanted you to cook, and then she had you prepay for the visit. So she had you committed, but she sent you off with also a recipe for success. Like Here were the pieces that you were going to need to be successful at this. And instead of just saying, all right, you know, you've been eating meat your entire life, and a lot of it in the last few years, you know, you have to just stop. She gave you this sort of bag of these six cans of tunas and said, well, you know, when you're desperate, when you need them, you know, you had the control in that situation, you could say, okay, I, I need to eat a can. 
Yeah, so you, you're absolutely right. And thank you so much for really reading the book and, and going through all these because they're very important points. And, and so here's what she did. Rather than just say, you know, switch to this, do this, and then exercise, she gave me a whole list of instructions. And I think that the most important thing that she did, in addition to telling me to adopt a dog, was, and I'll get into why she said that, but I think that the most important thing she did was getting me to commit to six months worth of weekly visits. And she did that. And she, she said, you know, if you want to make this work, this is what you got to do. So I said, okay. So I actually prepaid my insurance deductible, which is $25 for six months worth of weekly visits. Because after I did that, I felt committed. And I'm the type of person that once I pay for something, I want to get value from it. And I want to like see it through. So once she got me to commit financially, and I, I think I, it was maybe $1,000 or something that I paid her up front, then I felt committed, and I knew that I was going to follow through on, on all these visits and, and go through with it. So she also then sent me home with, and so what I did after that was I met with her once a week, but she also sent me home with a complete set of instructions on what to throw out from my pantry and what to uh, purchase at the supermarket. So I started following her instructions exactly. And uh, there's a lot of adventures in the book, like talking about how I set off the fire alarm system in my apartment because I didn't didn't know how to cook. And the first time that I tried, uh, I burned like a lot of stuff and had like a huge amount of smoke. So it set off the, uh, the, the fire alarms in my apartment. And so the other thing, uh, so really she gave me a system to work with and followed and to, and follow. And that was nothing like I'd ever have before. The purpose of the dog, as she explained, was, and I asked her, you know, and it was because I'd never owned a pet before. And I said, well, what's, what's, what's the point of the dog? I mean, can I just get a cat? Is it, what, what's, what's that about? And she said, well, you know, first, have you ever had a pet? And I said, no. And she said, well, you know, you can't walk a cat. And she said, have you ever walked a cat? And I, I think I said something like, no, but I think I've seen it done on TV. And she just, she's a four foot, nine inch tall Indian woman. And she was very serious. And she just looked at me very serious. And I didn't want to disappoint her or, or give her any, uh, uh, give her any attitude. So I said, okay, I'll do what you ask. And so what she, she explained to me, and this was really important also, is the difference between what other doctors had done up until that point in my life and what she was about to do was the other doctors had attempted to treat my symptoms. And she explained it to me like this. A symptom is think about turning on uh, a water spigot and the water spigot is going to start flowing water all over, you know, all over the floor. So if you just try to mop up all that water, you can mop that water until the be the end of time and you're never going to dry that floor. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to cure the symptom by mopping up the water, curing the underlying cause is turning off the spigot. And that's what she was going to try to do instead. So we're going to take a short break. This is Ellie Newman with That Got Me Thinking, and I'm speaking with Eric O'Gray about his recent book, Walking with Petey, The Dog Who Saved My Life. And when we come back, we're going to learn all about Petey and, and your relationship with Petey. This is KDPI 88.5 Drop-In Radio, listener-supported, non-commercial community radio. We're streaming live at kdpifm.org 24-7. All right, we're back. This is Ellie Newman on That Got Me Thinking, and I'm speaking with Eric O'Gray. 
So, Eric, the, the sort of probably most surprising thing that the doctor had said was for you to go get a dog. And, and you also, you jumped on these things right away. You leave, you go and get the stuff from the market that you need, which, again, is not a pleasant experience for you, typically. And then you set off to find not only a dog, but I thought very wisely, the right dog. And, again, it seemed like there were some synchronicities as well involved there and, and someone kind of guiding you as well as to helping you to find the, the right dog. We all kind of laughed. We were listening to your book on tape. Uh, my kids and I, we all kind of giggled when, when uh, you described what your perfect dog would be. We're thinking, oh, he's probably not going to get that. But you did get the perfect dog for you at that time in your life. And it seemed a lot of help from a gal at the shelter, Cassandra. So what, what did that look like, finding, your, your, finding Petey? So I did a little research online. And because I'd never owned a dog before, I didn't exactly know what kind of dog to get. But in my mind was thinking, well... A dog, the perfect dog for me would be a little dog and one that was, you know, attractive and didn't never shed, didn't have any allergy problems, didn't bark or upset the neighbors in any way and didn't do anything, would never ever in the life of the dog um, pee inside the house or get in the trash or anything like that. So as I explained in the book, what I really had in mind was about an eight pound uh, golden retriever, a dog that didn't exist. So I, can't, I found that the largest local humane society next to me at the time was uh, Humane Society Silicon Valley. I was living in San Jose, California at the time. So I went down there because online they, had, they looked to have the largest selection of adop, dogs for adoption, really cute poodles named Fifi and just all these different, like, you know, really attractive dogs. So I went down there, and the first thing I learned is rather than being the type of shelter that what they they tried to match the right person with the right dog so i've i've learned a lot more about the uh, animal adoption industry and just pet shelters in general and what most do i would call it more like match.com in that they have dogs behind glass um in little adoption pens and people kind of go through and they pick out the dog that they they like the way that it looks or, you know, they feel a connection to or that they think is most attractive or for whatever reason. And this, this situation was different for me. The lady that I got paired with, the adoption coordinator at the shelter, her name was Cassandra. And before she would go any further with me, she wanted to absolutely confirm that no matter what, this was, I was looking at this as a lifetime commitment. So this dog that I was going to adopt was not something that I was going to change my mind on in a couple of days and bring back to the shelter. If, if I was going to adopt a dog, it was going to be a dog that would be part of my family and would remain part of my family for, for the rest of its days. So I agreed to that after she was very, very serious about that. And so after she spent about an hour talking to me and qualifying me, just pretty much like Dr. Preeti had done, I thought, wow, this woman really has her heart into this. And like Dr. Preeti, she really knows what she's talking about. So, you know, I should probably do what she says. So I said a couple of things to her that, you know, your listeners may find funny. And the first one is after she started really making it very clear that this a dog was a lifetime commitment, I told her that maybe I should get an older dog because that would seem like less of a commitment. And then also... I'd asked for, when I originally went in there, an obese middle-aged dog so we'd have something in common. 
So I'm sitting. Which oh, seems sorry, like a joke, I was going to say, but actually it was wise, right? Because had you gotten a dog like Jake, who's your dog now, it, it right. wouldn't really have been a fit, right? That would have been stressful and a mismatch. It would have. It wouldn't have been fair for the dog, and I wouldn't have been physically in shape to handle a dog like Jake uh, back then either. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to handle him. He's just too powerful, and he's too energetic, and he needs too much exercise. And, and so, so you needed Petey, and Petey needed you. Yeah, so what happened was so I'm sitting in a room, the adoption room, waiting for my new dog to walk in, and Cassandra walks in with a dog, and this dog is really overweight, and he has skin problems, and he's itching, and he just is very unhappy looking, and he's not even looking up. His shoulders are slumped, and he's looking down on the floor. So I look up at Cassandra, and I said something like, where's my dog? (laughs) (laughs) And then when I said that, this dog looked up at me with the clearest sense of disappointment that I'd ever seen on any creature or person in my entire life. This dog looked at me like, really? And, and I looked at him kind of like with the same sort of frightening look, frightened look on my face, like, and, and it, we both realized at about the same time that Cassandra was attempting to pair the two of us. And we both had something entirely different in mind. It was very clear. So she said, and she sensed that also, and she said, look, you both have, from what you told me, you're both looking for the same thing. You're looking for an accountability partner and an exercise partner to go outside every day and to, you know, walk around and to get fresh air and to both get back in shape and, you know, improve your lives. And I said, you're absolutely right. So this is a sign. So I'm going to do exactly what she says. And I'm going to take this dog home and we're going to give this a shot. So I took Petey home and I got him up to my condo. And for the first three days, we sat on opposite sides of the room looking at each other skeptically. I looked at him from one side and he looked at me for the other and neither quite knew what to do with the other. You know, so we started walking and at first we could walk about a hundred yards at a time and we were both huffing and puffing and anxious to get back to the apartment and rest after that. It seemed like another shift at that point once you guys got home and you started your routines took place because it's like this point you started to be committed in action to yourself and for yourself and also on Petey's behalf, almost like having Petey allowed you to say, okay, like Petey and I deserve better than this. You know, you went out, you weren't, you know, you, you embraced it all. You went out and you got great cookware and learned about cooking and started to enjoy it and say, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it, do it in, in this, this way that is uh, deeper and, and more fulfilling. And then the next step, fixing up your home. You know, at one point you look around and say, hey, Petey, like what, you know, we, we need, we deserve better than this. We, we need to put some paint on those walls. And so, so what happened, and I'm really glad that you bring this up because on the third night after we, uh, we got, I, I adopted Petey, we adopted each other. After we kind of like went through this getting used to each other phase, he hopped up in the bed with me. And at that point he, he slept in bed with me for every night for the rest of his life. And we became absolutely bonded like a bond that I've never experienced before with anybody, a a person or an animal. And we became best friends. So it was like a a deep, deep, deep bond of unconditional love that turned on a switch in my mind 
I'd never had a relationship like that before of somebody who loved me with everything that they possibly had. And so I stopped feeling sorry for myself and I started feeling sorry for him. And I decided that I really needed to kind of like help him get in shape and to do everything. And we were going to do it together. And we did. So we started walking and walking and we were walking. Our goal was to get up to a half an hour twice a day, which we did in about the first couple of months. And so after we, uh, we did that, we would go outside and we were in a, a really nice Hispanic neighborhood in San Jose, you know, like lots of uh, ethnic shops and just, you know, real people sweeping the, uh, the stoops of their porch and just like walking around. So we started walking through the neighborhood we started making friends and, you know, getting recognized by shopkeepers and really doing things and going outside and really kind of like engaging in the community. And it was a wonderful experience. And he just, uh, everybody really loved Petey. And he was just, he really became a, a happy, proud dog. Um, and within, within four or five months, by following the plant-based diet that Dr. Petey put me on, and just by walking with Petey for a half an hour twice a day, I'd gotten off all meds, including I'd reversed my uh, uh, type 2 diabetes. I no longer required insulin. My glucose and A1C were normal for the first time in 15 years or more. And uh, it was just the results were extraordinary. I went from 15 meds down to just a bottle of Advil in my medicine cabinet at home. It's so interesting, I think, that these solutions right away were so clearly the right ones. You had said even the first night after eating this meal that, you know, think you thought was the best meal you'd ever cooked or eaten, um, but that you felt surprisingly good when you went to bed, that you didn't feel hungry, your stomach didn't hurt. Um, and that things with Petey, you know, they they were maybe the first couple of days, you know, a, a little tough, but that right away that this felt right in all, in all I, regards, that it wasn't a you, struggle. You're, you're absolutely right. I started feeling better immediately. Everything that I had been eating before, uh, the processed foods and the animal products and everything, after I ate them, I always felt lethargic and wanting to go to bed and needing to like, lay down or something. But the odd thing was, after eating the plant-based meals that Dr. Preeti gave me recipes for and, and you know encouraged me to do, I didn't feel tired. I actually felt energized. And you know it seemed to me that that is what fuel or food is probably supposed to do is make you feel good rather than bad. So the other extraordinary thing was on this plant-based diet and just by walking Petey, I started losing five pounds a week consistently. And that was extraordinary to me because I'd never experienced weight loss like that before. I was always on these prior diets that I tried, I was always able to lose some weight but I could never permanently uh, lose and keep off the weight. So um, what, the, what happened was then, in addition to getting off all meds, in about 10 months, I'd lost 150 pounds just like that. And I got down to my ideal weight. So I dropped from 340 pounds to 185 pounds. And uh, I really saved my life. I mean, my cholesterol went down from... 400, my total cholesterol, 400 to about 120. My uh, blood pressure went from 160 over 100 something to 
roughly, uh, last time I had it checked, it was 96 over 60. My heart rate went from an elevated rate down to right now it's in the 40s, which uh, if I go for a checkup and they put the uh, the machines on me, I set off the alarm because it, it appears to the machine that um, I'm like, you know, my heart is beating unnecessarily slow, but it's just a matter of being in good shape and healthy. And it seems like you and PD, like you kind of got in the river, like you're, he got in the, the lake and chased the ducks, literally, but you guys got in the river and you kind of, you were conscious about where it was going and you were steering around, but you let it take you and the places it seemed like it took you were fantastic. You know, you started to meet friends, you started to join groups, you started to have dinner parties, your career took off, um, you're now running marathons. Yeah, so it was it was really a, a wonderful life changing experience, and Petey was so integral to it that you know without him, I don't know that I was I would have succeeded. Without Dr. Petey, I wouldn't have succeeded. But what I did was I assembled a team, or I got a team of people supporting me, Dr. Petey and and Petey, and we were both each other's accountability partner, and just you know he looked at me like I was the greatest person to ever walk the planet. And so I just ultimately decided that I wanted to, you know, if he had that much faith in, faith in me, I wanted to become the person who he thought that I was. And then I became committed to improve my life in every way. And it's, as you say, I just started following the signs and, and taking advantage of the opportunities that were placed before me seemingly every day. Um, so after I lost all my weight, and this is really important uh, to say to your listeners, I didn't lose my weight by doing anything other than walking for half an hour twice a day and being on a plant-based diet. There was no extreme exercise associated with that. And in fact, I would strongly discourage extreme exercise for anybody who's really overweight because you're really at a heightened risk of injury and also burnout. You know, everybody that wants to lose weight really goes out at 110%, but then it's like, you know, a bottle rocket going off. It goes up really quickly, explodes, and then, you know, it's done. So the easy way to lose weight is on a plant-based diet with just walking. But after I did that, I had so much excess energy after I lost all my weight that I went back to Dr. Preeti and I said, well, you know, what do I do now? And she said, well, to sustain this, I recommend two things. You know, first, you're going to need to find a form of lifestyle, uh, lifetime exercise that you don't hate, but that you might actually enjoy. And it should be with like a social component. So, you know, you're going you're gonna to find a form of exercise that, you know, other people are doing and is a community sort of thing that includes friends. So to me, I thought about it and people had told me that, you know, about running before and I'd never really run before. So somebody said, well, you're going to hate it at first, but after a couple of weeks, if you stick with it, what will happen is it'll be like a light bulb going off and you're going to go, hey, this isn't so bad. I can go farther. I can do this more. And that's exactly what happened to me. I I found that after running a couple of weeks, I, I went for two miles the first day and then three miles the second and then four miles the third. And then I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't just run around a, a track. Maybe I should go and find out people who know more about this that can guide me and how to make this more fun. So I went on Meetup and I joined a couple of local running groups. And what I was fascinated by was that suddenly you know, it includes a couple of hundred built-in friends. And these were all positive, goal-oriented, really nice people that were into healthy pursuits and were all like, you know, professional and, you know, really nice people. 
So just by joining these running clubs and participating, suddenly I had hundreds of new friends and it was just a, a wonderful experience. So within a couple of months of joining a running group, I ran my first half marathon. And then by the end of that summer, I ran a full marathon and I'm currently running about five or six full marathons a year and about 15 halves. And I, I do, uh, 30 to 40 miles a week, just, you know, in, in terms of training miles, but I love it. And I would, I, I can't imagine not doing that now. So it's not something like I have to do, or I feel like, Oh, I got to do that. It's something I really look forward to. And, and the, the crazy thing is, you know, after I run in the morning and then I'm driving down the street doing sales calls or whatever, I'll see somebody running and I'm actually jealous that I'm not running with them. So, and I think it's important to point out that, that, it doesn't mean for everyone that running's the answer. For some, it might be cooking or joining a marching band or building a, a house. Um, and maybe a dog isn't the fix for everyone. But finding for each person, what is their fix? What's their individual cure? That's something that is both going to be practical and also meet them on an emotional and spiritual level. And for you, it was definitely... PD was was the match. And do you realize now, like looking back, do you think you can see what it was that PD um, provided that was missing at that point that was really at the heart of the cause and not the symptoms of, of where your life had, yeah, be, had been going? Because it, as Dr. Pretty had understood, uh, part of my uh, curing the underlying cause, part of the underlying cause of my obesity was a that I'd become so reclusive because of my weight that I stopped having any friends. And once you stop having any friends and any social interaction at all, and you stop going outside, you really don't care about whether you live or die anymore. And that's a situation that I was in. So with Petey, by putting us together, he cared about me so much that I had to care about him in return. It was like this, this mutual thing that we did for each other, a mutual rescue. And then uh, as part of that, I just felt, like that relationship and his love for me, the unconditional love that we felt for each other turned on a light switch. It was like, as I said, it was like coming out of the matrix and it caused me to see things that I'd never seen before and care about my life and, and things again and really become a happy and kind of joyful person for the first time in my life and wanting to go out and do things and, and have friends and be a, you know, a real member of society. And that you could do things, there's a, a time later in the book, and I can't remember what, what person or, or animal that you were talking about, but you're talking about be, the, this character being in constant pain and sort of feeling alone and not feeling like they belonged or, or had a purpose. And I thought, you know, those were the things that shifted for you from wherever they had developed once you had PD. You know, you had purpose now, you belonged, you had someone who saw you as important and valued you, and you had then had this mutually loving relationship. Completely. So the way that I describe this is I was in such misery and pain and, and just depressed and hated life. And and then I, I, I transformed over a period of less than a year to be a person in really good shape, athletic um, and happy and truly feeling joyful in my life. And what I ultimately realized is what I feel now is what it feels like to be normal. I don't know. That is the one thing, like through the book, you say that. And I think, I think 
I give you more than normal. Like I think normal, you've definitely surpassed normal. I think normal is more people tend to settle and maybe not be so true to themselves and be willing to take risks and be willing to make these changes and embrace them so fully. So they haven't found normal yet. So really what the goal and the purpose here is to be the awesome person that you've always wanted to be and being normal is just achieving your greatness, your personal best and really, you know, feeling like, okay, I don't have anything that's dragging me down today. I've worked through all my problems. There's nobody after me for anything. I, I don't have, uh, uh, really anything that I'm worried about or nobody's, there's nothing coming after me for any purpose or reason, physically, emotionally, financially, or in any part of your life. And then you can really start to enjoy life. And we're put here for the purpose of achieving that and experiencing that. So that is normal is to be your best. And maybe becoming the dating magnet you were always meant to be, which, which happened to you and led where? So, as Petey and I slimmed up and we lost our weight, he became like a really, really attractive, happy, proud dog. And uh, I called him my weapon of mass seduction because for the first time in my life, I had never felt attractive and I'd never seen a woman ever look at me before in my entire life. But after I lost my weight, I I did. And, you know, so we would go to all these places and, you know, because I had Petey, the first thing that anybody would do, I mean, obviously they, oh, can I pet your dog? And sure, you know, what's his name? So we start talking about the dog and that leads into other introductions. So Petey was the big icebreaker for us. So I started dating and one of the wonderful parts of the book, in addition to being a, a great dog story and a story about an epic comeback story, an epic American comeback story is what I describe it. It's also a really good love story, too. And the really good love story part, and I won't spoil it. I'll just give you some basic details. From between the time that I was 15 to 17 years old, my high school girlfriend and I, um, we dated. And then when I was 17, I went in the Army, and I was bad. And I didn't see her for 40 years after that. So 40 years goes by, and then uh, about a year and a half ago, I was approached to make a film for the internet about my story and that film, any one of your listeners can look up and it's called Eric and Petey, Eric and Petey, P E E T Y. So it's on YouTube or wherever that film ended up getting about a hundred million views and really changed my life. So after we made that film, I started getting 10,000 emails a day, uh, requests from all kinds of media and everybody for interviews. I was on, Rachel Ray, the Today Show, and uh, various different other programs. And um, through that film, uh, Jay, my high school, uh, my high school sweetheart, found me. We'd both been looking it for each other, but she she found me. She recognized me from the film and contacted me. So we uh, that was like last July, and then by September we decided to move in together because we were both single, and then we got married in December. And now we're living happily ever after. So I describe that as uh, 40 years in the wilderness, but now we're back together and we're living a, a really happy life. And I'd also like to say this is very important. When we got back together, Jay was 197 pounds and a size 20. And she was afraid that I wouldn't like her because she felt uh, unattractive and because she was so overweight. And to me, it was like I'd been the brunt of so much in my life because of my weight 
that I stopped, and this is true, I stopped looking at people based upon what they looked like and really looking at them and evaluating them based upon who they were. And so I told her that. And so I said, you know, this is going to work out for you also. And the same thing happened to her with me. Over 10 months, her weight dropped from 197 pounds to 115 pounds. She went from a size 20 to a size 2, doing exactly the same thing that I did, which was nothing more than practicing a whole food, plant-based diet and walking our new dog, Jake, for half an hour twice a day. And I, I taught her how to cook using plants rather than the animal products that she cooked with before. And now she's as uh, knowledgeable and, and satisfied with what we eat as I am. Um, and we would both say, and I talk to her about this all the time, that we like what we eat now way better than what we ate before. We'd never consider going back to what we ate before, um, even if we could. Well, Eric, I just want to say congratulations on finding the treasure trove that the universe is meant to be and the treasure trove inside you that, that, that uh, was there all the time that you, that you uncovered. So thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with you and an absolute pleasure for, for myself and the whole family to, to read your book and, and be able to walk with you and Petey and Jake and everyone else throughout your journey. And thank you so much. And anybody interested in the book can find it. Uh, you can find out information on where to purchase that on my website, ericandpeedy.com, E-R-I-C-A-N-D-P-E-E-T-Y.com, and uh, more about me and my uh, initiatives to help other people. And thank you so much for being on your show. This was a lovely conversation, and I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much, Eric. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. 